Three, two, one, we are officially on. Welcome to another episode of the True Leisure Podcast. A big welcome to everyone who's listening in. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day so far. In episode two, we talked about quarantine and its effect socially, more specifically on the college experience. However, today we are talking about quarantine and its effect scientifically on the environment. I'm sure you guys have seen the before and after pictures circulating on social media of various places showing how quarantine has affected the environment. Places like Italy where fish are populating the rivers again, and India where the smog has cleared up significantly. Today we're talking about this and taking a look at the science behind the ecological changes in the world due to lockdown. Let's get started. So the first thing when we talk about pollution, we talk about things like cars, because those are the main contributors to air pollution globally. More specifically, the nitrogen dioxide, the NO2 that's emitted by uh, things like cars, trucks, power plants, or anything else that burns fossil fuel. When air pollution levels are consistently high, there's a huge risk of people suffering from respiratory infections. Over the past few years, 15 or so years since 2005, researchers at NASA have been tracking atmospheric nitrogen dioxide levels using their satellite called Aura. What the team found is that over the last 15 years, March 2020 was the lowest level of pollutant in their 15 years of tracking. If we, if we look at the U.S., the main place in the U.S. where this is evident in is the Interstate 95. So for those of you who don't know what the Interstate 95 is, Interstate 95 is the main highway on the east coast of the U.S., which runs from Miami, Florida, all the way up to the Canadian border. What NASA found was that NO2 levels along the, the long highway where, understandably, there's a lot of traffic, the amount in March 2020 was 30% lower in any of the readings over the last 15 years. So air pollution has been trending downward for many years, but the lockdown that's been initiated by governments worldwide has just sort of t- taken that one step further. And this isn't just a trend in the U.S., so... There's been many, many, there's, there are many places globally where this change is also evident. One place that I would like to talk about is India, because I am from India, so I do have some experience with the pollution that plagues Indian society. Gurkirat can agree with me on this because he's also flown to India, but when you fly into Delhi, when you leave Delhi airport, the smog that pollutes the air is just so incredibly, uh, so incredibly thick that lights in the distance are so blurry because of the, because of the air quality. It's just so incredibly hazy. There's so much smog and so much air pollution. Well, India initiated lockdown orders in March 20, on March 25th. And we've seen that there's been a huge reduction in air pollution in Delhi. 
statistically, if we're to look at this, the PM 2.5 readings. So PM 2.5 is what we call um, fine particulate matter in the air. So that's basically just the particles in the air which contribute to air pollution. The PM 2.5 readings before lockdown on March 25th were around 59, 60 micrograms per cubic meter. After lockdown was initiated, those readings dropped to 34 micrograms per cubic meter. So overall, that's a reduction of 43% less pollution during the lockdown. And anecdotally, we see so many changes. Uh, people, there's, especially in a city in the state of Uttarakhand in India, there's the city of Rishikesh, which is in the foothills of the Himalaya mountains. We've seen anecdotally that people have said that they can see the Himalayan mountains again because of the air quality clearing up. And there's so, so many other anecdotal stories that we've seen, especially in uh, European countries like Italy, where people have taken pictures of fish that are repopulating the rivers again because of the pollution in the water clearing up because people are not leaving their houses, they're not littering, which has caused in a significant reduction in littering and air pollution. And Alex, I believe you said you also did some research on pollution. What, what exactly did you find? Okay. It's more similar to what you said about India with mm -hmm. the air quality improving. There was, um, in China, there was a massive reduction in NO2 mm -hmm. for, um, in December 9th, 2019 to like March 2020. Okay. It was something like 60% decrease and it was projected to have saved like 12,000 or more people just from the the better air quality so they don't have stuff built up in their lungs and they don't get cardiovascular problems. Right, and I feel like um, China, they, they started their lockdown quite early, right? Right. I mean, obviously, a, obviously they did. Zero. Right, right, exactly. So, but since they've opened up, uh, I've read that there's been a resurgence in the amount of pollution in the air. Hmm. Could you explain and, that? And like resurgence as in like levels of air pollution in China, especially in Beijing, have gone almost back to normal in the few months and okay. the few in the time that they've closed the lockdown orders. Yeah, but that doesn't even seem to be just like a China thing, because from what I read, it's happening in pretty much every country, including the U.S., like just as people are getting back to their old habits. And I actually have like, I have a quote from one of the professionals I was reading on. Give me a second. 
Okay, I can't find it, but he basically said that it's something along the lines of as people go back out into the world, people will start reestablishing their old habits and we'll be back to the place we started. Right. Yeah. I mean, the question, the question that we have to ask about that is what, what do we mean by going back to where we started? Are we talking about going back to before lockdown? Because if that's true, I feel like even then, because we've seen over the past few years that air pollution, especially in the U.S., has been trending downward. So yeah. I guess the matter is, do are we going to see that trend continue? Or are we going to see that trend reverse and see air pollution levels rise? I mean, that's definitely hard to say, because especially in recent years, it doesn't seem like at least the U.S. government doesn't really care about air pollution China um, kind of cares because of the, I be, believe, the Paris Accord. Right. They, they showed some concern. We recently withdrew. So it seems like at least our priorities are not on climate change for the mm-hmm. most part. I mean, research has shown that areas with poor air quality have had higher death rates from COVID-19. And I feel like even common sense wise, I feel like that, it's true because if we're to think about it, then areas with poorer air quality are most likely the areas that haven't taken lockdown orders seriously, which would lead to higher COVID re- death rates. And because I mean, of that, and be- yeah, and because of that, the because of the poor air quality, which would, that could also lead to complications within. COVID-19. So it's 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 really a, uh, a two-headed snake, so to say. Because on one hand, you have poor air quality because people aren't taking the lockdown order seriously, which leads to higher COVID death rates. But because of that, the poor air quality lead, could also potentially lead to complications for someone who does have COVID-19. So it's really a two-headed snake so to say, would where you really you kind of just have to get rid of the problem completely in order to really have any shot at trying to beat this pandemic. And just yeah. a disclaimer for everybody, we none of us we claim that we don't claim to be experts within this field. We are just people who are interested in this sort of stuff and we want there to be a discussion. We want there to be a discourse established on this so just we don't claim to be experts at all but that being said we have done some research on it and we want there to be a conversation stemming from this topic well said yeah you took the words right out of my mouth (laughs) but like it's hard because what's sometimes statistics don't always show everything right right because we see that in, in these poor air quality areas you you mentioned before that there are higher death rates, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to pinpoint if COVID just spreads better, like in like air that's just worse quality, or if right, it's right. just like purely the deaths. Right. I mean, like, the WHO they also said a few months ago that COVID nineteen spreads when there are uh, 
uh, what's aerosols within the air, right? Oh, really? Okay. So that's oh, like a that's a that that's a three headed snake then. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So, like, we do see how COVID's affected by the environment, but, like, even with recent things, like the Australia brush fire, like, it just doesn't seem like climate change is just affecting, like, the main pandemic. Like, I, from what I saw, like, these people had to, like, evacuate because the air quality was so bad over there, they basically were, like, inhaling toxic fumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Gee, do you have any insight on that? Yeah, well, the thing about fires is, of course, they're going to create these fumes, right, that are toxic. I don't really have many, I don't have much information. I didn't really look too much into the the wildfires. Uh, maybe if you have something you'd like to say about it, go ahead. Uh, not too much, really. It's more like, well, like these concerning things just tend to happen more often with climate change. Because it's not so much like that the 110 degree weather is like starting a fire. It's more that there there are certain things that might start a fire, like a spark or like a left cigarette butt. But like, because we have these higher temperatures, it just makes it that much easier to start these fires. So it's very possible that if somehow we started fixing the whole climate change issue more seriously, like say five years ago, that that might have not happened. Hmm. Right. And I, sorry, go over. Uh, I just wanted to, just wanted, I just had a thought about that. You said, well, we would have, we would have had better success had we started to fix this whole uh, climate change a few years prior. And it makes me think that if we had taken that more seriously, and we've we tried to decrease. We really uh, fought against pollution. Would the COVID spread rate have been so bad? Because the CDC did say that COVID spreads through aerosols. So if we had tackled the air pollution problem, maybe would we have seen a less of a spread rate of COVID-19? And uh, I don't know the answer, but I just feel like it's something to think about. If I'm correct, COVID-19 spreads through liquid droplets. They don't, it's not like technically airborne. Like they, I mean, like do you count sneezing as airborne? Yeah. Or coughing? Nah, I don't think so. Yeah, it's liquid respiratory droplets that, like that we that are come into contact with us that is how they they spread mm-hmm. i mean it's and not so, it's not just liquid droplets because aerosol is just refers to fine particles within the air and that could include either liquid or pollutants like we talked about pm 2.5 yeah okay then yeah no i'm thinking about it and i think that Pollution definitely has an effect on it, but something like this, I don't think could have single-handedly been avoided just by improving the climate. But right, though, like right. a million other things, 
would have been fixed most likely. Right. Also, uh, oh, Alex, go ahead. Something to say regarding the if we started earlier thing. Even if we started earlier, it's it's hard to get that initiative anyways because there's so much stuff that has to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not easy. Like, um, looking at a simulation from Hypergiant, this, the, um, the aggregate emissions that were kind of eliminated because of the quarantine lockdown stuff mm-hmm. from less manufacturing and less surface transportation and stuff like that mm-hmm. barely made like a sing like the time it made a tiny dent in the aggregate emissions aggregate meaning like the total annual mm-hmm. i think it's something like seven percent or seven seems pretty good um yeah seven percent mm-hmm but even that, seven percent is nowhere near enough yeah. to actually get carbon neutral and even meet the Paris Climate Accord thing that we were in prior to twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. So that's just something to think about. Like, why haven't we done anything really for doing stuff about emissions, even though it's a really big looming threat. Yeah. I think part so of that... Also the... you go, ahead. go for it. No, 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 go for it. Okay. It's a huge... Like, there's... It's huge economic and political thing uh, just enacting these changes in order to reduce the emissions. Right. Just getting the... Like, I'll use Congress as an example. Getting the Congress to all agree on this issue to you know enact change is fairly difficult because if well for one it's an incredibly expensive process and some people just prefer that those funds go somewhere else to benefit america in another way and in another sense it's also political because it's telling basically telling people or telling corporations to change the way that they've been operating and a lot of people are opposed to that change. So there's it's not as easy as it theoretically should be to enact just reduce our emissions cuz again it's it's an economic thing. We pollution has gone incredibly up. The original spike in pollution started back in the 1800s during the industrial revolution. And there was a direct correlation between how much output came out of factories and the pollution that was the particles that are being released into the air. But the thing is that the output of the factories makes money. And so actively telling some people who are making money to stop making money or find another way to make money, it's, it affects not only them, but it affects the people working under them because they all get cut pay as well. Right. 
and back then they didn't have the technology for uh, having more green operations. So it's it's really complicated because all of the infrastructure that was established back then is still in place right now. And the thing about American politics is it's really re- difficult to remove something that has been established already. Yeah, and like it makes sense in a way because you most like if you guys have insurance right i'm just gonna make a corollary here so so a lot of people when they realize that they're like legally forced to buy insurance they don't even like care about it because they don't really see the main benefit of what insurance can do for them so what they'll do is they'll go buy the lowest standard it saves the most money and they'll just be like okay i'll just drive safe and it's all, the same concept almost applies to like these companies too. It's like, oh, can we get away with using like plastic straws? Can we get away with like dumping our stuff into the ocean? Like, as long as it's like within certain bounds, if as long as it benefits them, they're most likely gonna do that. Like, there are probably a few like companies that are more in tune with the environmental factors, but when you have to open a restaurant and like. You're, you want to care about the environment, but also people don't like not being able to use plastic straws. You sacrifice just your image as a, like, a restaurant in this case in order to help the environment, which is not exactly an easy sacrifice, especially mm-hmm. to a lot of people who are used to certain things. I feel like especially the other side of that... Sorry. What? Especially okay. if your business depends on you making that little extra marginal amount if you're well established then you can afford to make those changes like the plastic straws but if you're a small business then sometimes it's just not even possible yeah i was gonna say like the other side of that coin is making these changes could benefit the restaurant's image you were saying that it could harm it but in some cases it could benefit it just saying oh yeah we're we're all organic we're all we're all green and that would appeal to a different uh, group of people, but of course, there's a da- there's a downside to everything. That's that's what you were trying to say. Yeah, but like, uh, I can see the benefits for sure. But I don't think most people in their everyday lives care. Like, if you if I want to go and get a milk tea, and there's one place that's just as good as another, but one requires me to like bring in a metal straw to drink it, like. It's just inconvenient if I don't already have something like that. And most people don't. So, like, we, we have to think of it in more of an economic sense. Like, despite it helping and people going for, like, that good cause, it's not like everyone's already always, like, open to support these types of things. Yeah. Convenience is really huge for business. Yeah. It's just kind of sad how, like, the U.S. already pulled out the Accord. But, like, that's water under the bridge. Do you guys have any tips for people to at least do their part in helping with carbon emissions? Or, like, things you guys have already been doing? I think before we do that, we should... um, We started talking about wildfires, but we never really went in-depth on that. And I think that would be... I think it would be better to leave the stuff like what people could do at the, till the end 
Yeah, let's yeah, do that. We'll, I like we'll bookmark it. it. Go for it. Okay. So stuff about like effects of quarantine. Specifically in California and Washington, which are super dry climates, they have a lot of wildfires because of the fact that it's so dry. There's just a higher statistical average chance that when something happens, like a power line sparking or like what Ethan said, the cigarette bud, it could just start a massive fire. So as a result of quarantine, there's, it's going to be really interesting to see how we're going to deal with fire or wildfires because since people are staying at home, it's going to be harder to make maintenance upgrades that um, PG&E and other companies that have to deal with electricity for the whole country have to deal with it. Because people that are staying at home are going to be wanting to use their internet for learning or for working, right? Mm. Or just for staying entertained. And because it's harder to do things like upgrade the insulation and replace old transformers as preventative measures, then it's more likely that these fires are still going to happen when the wildfire season starts up soon. Mm. Another thing is firefighters are going to be slower to respond due to the virus because usually when you're putting out a fire, at least from what I've read, is that you're not usually social distancing and you're not in very sanitary environments, right? So firefighters are most likely going to be slower to respond because they have to, if, if one person gets infected in their like thousand person camp, when they're trying to take out a big wildfire, then everybody can be compromised. And then the whole thing would be horrendous. So it'll be slowed just because they probably have to isolate a lot more. So they'd have to spread out resources. Um, They might actually, they might have to cycle, but I don't know how realistic that is. Yeah, like having like 200 at a time seems a lot less effective. Yeah. And even then, if one person gets infected, it's still terrible. Mm-hmm. And then I guess they're, they're also doing online trading or training and they're all following the CDC guidelines, but it's still going to be a really interesting thing to see play out. Yeah. But like even something like the online training, like you can like already, you could probably see the spillover effect because as most of us know, online is not exactly the same as real life. And I would say it's worse in almost every way in terms of like getting the person to learn yeah Yeah. we discussed this in our second episode yeah so like for something as important as like firefighter training like 
that might also slow them down just because they're not trained to the same standard. I would hope that it's, for the most part, the non-practical bits being done online and the rest of the really important mandatory physical stuff with using machinery and stuff like that is in person because obviously practice would be a lot better for stuff like that. I feel yeah, like hopefully. for like firefighter training, especially I can't see many aspects of their um, training that isn't practical. I mean, I'm sure there is yeah. like the informational right. side of, you know, various uh, legal things and stuff, but mm-hmm. I feel like I like agree. 80% of their job has to be practical, you know? I mean, yeah, I can see it. Because some like, of their drills are, like, hands-on practice, and, yeah. What were you going to say, Ethan? Uh, I assume it's closer to, like, military training, in a sense, where it's, like, um, when you're not on the field, you have to learn about, like, just certain tactics, what you're supposed to do uh, in certain scenarios, when you're allowed to, like, take the reins, or for firefighters, you would probably have to learn, like, the mechanics of a fire, right? Because right. they can't just, like, squirt water at where the fire is without knowing, like, oh, it might spread to this. You sh- Maybe we should chop down some trees to, like, stop the spread or something like that. Right, and there's, like, certain fires that they can't put out with fire, you know? They have to use fire retardant for that. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I think, uh, what is it? Uh, what, what was the... There was, like, a specific type of fire that can't be put out with water hold on i forgot the name okay while you're checking that depends on what the chemical is right that's yeah. involved i remember i actually we had like not very recent it was a couple i think it was two years ago or maybe last year uh we had a fire near the field where i live and they and it was because of a, a transformer that was loose or something like that but i remember they couldn't use water because it had grown too big and what they actually did to protect the houses from the spread was they made like a line of fire retardant to it was kind of like the border of which the fire could spread mm-hmm. and so it would not go past that line and they would be able to put it out or they would have that kind of safety so they kind of just let it like burn out by itself, right? Yeah, that's okay. that's what they had to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's four types of fire. So there's class A fires that are normally extinguished with water. There's class B fires, which are uh, caused by flammable liquids, which are which are used, which in which case the fire retardant is used. And then class C fires are um, fires that involve electrical equipment. And class D fires are uh, just fires that react with water, so you can't use those. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, class D sounds scary. But yeah. I'm guessing that G ran into the class C fire, or almost ran into. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was the transformer that caused the field to burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so class class D fires are fires that involve combustible metals. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's not it's not metal. It was just grass or dry yeah. grass. But like that's pretty crazy because like I remember seeing the Amber Alert for that, and I was like, "Yo, G, there's a fire by your house. You good?" 
And he's like, yeah. And then I get up, I look up from my video game and I'm like, oh. I'm not dead yet. (laughs) It's like literally a few meters away, like the other hill. Yeah. (laughs) And the area was, the, the hill itself was black for months afterward. Oh my god. It's still pretty dead, isn't it? Uh, it's it like it rained a month after, and things started to grow again. Okay, but it looked really, really metal. <laughs> I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. Uh, so, like, you, you guys heard of Team Trees, right? Like, I would have yeah. assumed. Mm-hmm. So, heard of what? How would these? Akash, are you kidding? Uh, I didn't hear. What, I didn't hear what you said. Uh, I had said, "Have you heard of Team Trees?" Yeah. Okay. So what I want to know is they're trying to plant 20 million trees. And like I saw one of their plantings, a few of their planting sites were California and Washington. Like, do you guys have any idea how like wildfires might like stunt the growth of those trees or like stop like team trees in their tracks from finishing their goals? I mean, did they plant them there because of the wildfires? I don't know. Um, it looks like they just chose about maybe 10 to 20 places for whatever reason and just chose to plant there. It might have been that, though I don't know. Okay. It's one thing One thing I remember reading about is that trees, although they are really, really important for purifying our air, are not. they're not going to save us from all these emissions. Like, there is a limited amount of trees. There's, there's a limited amount of carbon dioxide that trees can take in at a time. And if there's too much, then trees have been known to actually release all of that that they're holding and actually emit that into the atmosphere. That and also the um, there's a maximum number of trees that we can plant. And if we don't... Like, trees... They're very useful utility, but they're not our only solution. Like planting 20 million trees will help, but it's not going to solve. We need to solve it. We actually need to actively reduce it and hit like almost zero emissions so that our trees can process like all of the stuff that's already in the air. Yeah. I think it's a common misconception that the trees just filter out everything we're doing. But the truth is that it takes time. And if we keep on making more emissions, then the trees just have a, a bigger workload. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, so, Alex, you were going to say something? It's something like, so they release all the CO2 once it's too saturated? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's very like, it, it doesn't happen too often in some places like for example the amazon there's so many trees there that they can process it's like a powerhouse almost but in places where there's hardly any trees because it's all been deforested for land development the trees a singular tree will not be able to sustain all that yeah of course but i I mean like when when trees are cut down it also uh, Mm -hmm. it also releases their stored carbon dioxide that and most oxygen is made from phytoplankton anyway. Cyanobacteria. Oh, that's a discussion. Yeah. 
the OGs. Yeah. Um, uh, no, nah, Alex, you go first. I'll go after. So I was gonna say more about what Team Trees is doing. Oh yeah, go ahead. That's good. With um, just in response to the trees not being enough thing. So planting more trees would, in theory, make that max saturation go up, right? Because there's more vessels to hold all that carbon dioxide, right? Mm -hmm. So I agree that it's it's not going to solve it, but at least they're doing something that will have a decently significant impact. Yeah, of course. There's, I mean, it's yeah. going to help. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, planting trees... It sort of combats the, uh, it's, it combats deforestation because when deforestation occurs, it reduces the amount of, like Alex said, vessels that can that can hold carbon dioxide. But not only does it reduce the amount of vessels, but it also increases the amount of carbon dioxide in the air because of the trees that are being cut down. So planting trees is a step towards uh, reversing that process. Yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction, but like, like G said, it's almost like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Like, yeah, there, there has to be a lot of knives for you to win. Like, we gotta, we gotta do a Caesar on this one. Yeah. <laughs> did um, you? Were you gonna build off of um? Did you have a thing you were gonna say after the team trees thing, Ethan? No. Nah. I was going to basically said what you said, but you said it better. So I was just like, this okay. is good. <laughs> uh, um, so from, we, yeah. go ahead. I was, I was going to transition. You can do it. Okay. So since we're talking about trees, perhaps we could transition to the, like what Akash mentioned at the very beginning with ecosystem recovery as a result of the quarantine yeah uh, what kind of ecosystem are we talking like just generally uh, it could or... be stuff with animals or it could be social uh, i think we can do animals briefly i don't i f don't personally think there is too much on that oh, i don't know what do you guys think actually i can talk about the ecosystem within cities and how animals have kind of re how animals have kind of come back so i'll just preface this with what i've learned about ecosystems ecosystems are very simple in concept they have the producers they have the consumers and they have the decomposers we've learned this in elementary school mm -hmm. but there's actually a multi-tier hierarchy of consumers in an ecosystem and at the top of that hierarchy is the apex predator and for a long time before humans were able to make technology the apex predators were organisms like lions like cheetahs like bears just fierce creatures that had raw power and were able to take down even the strongest uh, predators 
And so uh, they were they were at the top, but then humans came up with technology and they were able to outsmart the apex predators. And so we effectively became the apex predator and we were able to create our own societies because we had that privilege as at, as the top of the food chain. Now, with quarantine and shelter in place, before humans had a large established presence and a, a ton of animals would be like, okay, those guys, stay away from them. They're fierce and they have the technology. But you, you have most people that stay in their houses now and there's reduced amount of cars on the road. And just a lot, there's a lot less, uh, a lot less traffic, a lot less pedestrians, just everything is kind of taken a step back. And so the animals gain confidence to come out again Mm -hmm. and kind of resume the way that they functioned before. I remember when quarantine first, when my location was sheltered in place, it was, we got a warning within like a week or two that we have to be cautious because mountain lions had started to kind of reemerge and come down from the top of the mountains and into the, into some of the uh, properties that were in my area. And along with mountain lions, I also noticed a ton of other animals up here. We have a ton of wildlife like deer and turkeys, but it was interesting to kind of have to actually take caution because that's something we take for granted. We don't have to worry about having to run away from lions or having to defend our territories from other animals. That's something we take for granted. And it was kind of interesting to me that now it was a real like reemerging issue that we had to worry about. I think something to add on to that that might be interesting was even if we didn't have technology, like when you go hiking and there's a mountain lion warning or whatever, yeah. Even then, it's they don't mess with us usually. It's only if they're super hungry or their territory's in danger. Yeah, if we're in their territory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and even then, even then we're still kind of the apex predator without technology. There's a ton of strategies. Yeah, there's a ton of strategies that we employ, and from like an evolutionary standpoint, there's we have the ability to make tools and improvise on the spot. We are very intelligent creatures. And one of the things that are unique about us is we don't have horns, we don't have claws, we don't have fangs, but we do have the ability to throw things very far. And so we can pick up a rock and throw it at, we get, we, not many animals can do that. Not many animals can retaliate in that fashion. And humans stand on two feet. That is pretty intimidating. And so we have that psychological advantage over these creatures. So I agree with you there. We, without te- even without technology, we could, still, we could still be on top. It would just be a lot of... It would just be we would be outbraining the, the creatures. 
Okay. And in like that one... case, I think a better way to a better way to say we wouldn't have technology if we were in the the wild. We still would technically have technology if we have spears or if we mm-hmm. use tools at all, right? Yeah. But I mean, we don't have modern technology just to make that specification. Yeah, like no no guns, no Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Akash, what were you saying? I was saying that like another thing that contributes to um sort of along the lines of us being on two feet is our ability to run long distances. And that because that's mm-hmm. that's a um even though we're not the best sprinters by any chance and in the wild world, but the ability to run long, super long distances and to have an advantage in stamina is definitely something that contributes to humans being uh, a worthy predator. Yeah. Right. I'm, like people doing like what? 26 mile marathons. Like that's crazy. Right. Yeah. I know. I, I know that most creatures right like cheetahs they have speed but they don't have the stamina eventually they'll have to collapse and yeah. that's when humans catch up to them yeah, yeah, I mean, it's wet. yeah and it's like it's sort of seen in the way the patterns the hunting patterns of animals like cheetahs right because they stalk their prey super slowly and then they they stalk their prey first yeah, yeah and then they pounce because they only have them right yeah and then they yeah. pounce on them for speed yeah, to tackle them. Yeah. But going back to humans being on top. So when the people that are on top kind of retract, it causes a sort of like shift in the ecosystem's balance. And so that's why I mentioned that these creatures are resurging. Like they're not resurging, reemerging. Like they're coming back out and they're expanding their territories. I'm pretty sure that we've all seen on Reddit those videos in Asia where monkeys are kind of populating the streets now and humans are still at their homes. And I remember recently on the news there was a headline about monkeys kind of... They they absolutely wrecked this one village, I forget which country, in, because they were able to come back. They had the confidence and they had the numbers. And there was no traffic in the area or human presence, so to speak. So mm-hmm. that's, it's, we talk about the, when we talk about the human ecosystem, it's a huge, it's a huge social concept that a lot of people take for granted. Gonna have real yeah. life planet of the apes. Yeah, being the apex predator means you don't have to worry about anything other than death. And that's a privilege. Mm-hmm. How about, like, just, like, the more modern version of that ecosystem, like, the semi-social? Like, how has, like, the environment affected us in this way, at least, like, right now during corona? Are you referring to the pseudo ecosystem that humans have created for themselves like 
almost in a social way, but not so much. It's just like so. Like you're talking about the ecosystem within humans. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's something that's prevalent in with every apex predator. It's like lions. Lions have tribes. They have their own families that they back, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way I see it is that that's kind of a pseudo ecosystem. It's when you're at the top, but there has to be the top of the top. And so yeah. that's why we create this system where we we one-up ourselves over other people through our own means. For lions, it's just who has who has the more who has the bigger pack, who has the stronger leader, right? For humans, it's who has more money and who is more likable most of the time. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. But, like, it's so odd that, like, we can be at the top, and yet, like, in in a few scenarios, you can see, like, people being treated worse than, like, a rich dude's dog. Like, yeah. Like, that's almost, like, like unreal for me. That's pretty similar to how animals would treat each other, so I think that's pretty interesting. Like, mm-hmm. um... I don't know if this is hyenas, maybe, for example. The person who is the alpha gets, like, the vast majority of all the stuff, like, all the meat. And then everybody else, like, even the second in line gets mostly a bone and a little bit of meat. That's what And it's are. kind of analogous with the 1%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was that? There was something at the beginning that uh, I think Ethan mentioned that we wanted to go into, but we said we would save it for the end. Um, it was what we can do, however small, to help the environment, or what we okay. already are doing. Okay. All right, let's start one by one on that. Uh, alphabetical order? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Is K before L? No. Yes. It is. Yes. 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 It's right before. I had to sing it in my head. (laughs) Okay. Akash. Yes. Okay. Um, I feel like in terms of things that we can do to help our environment, there's definitely multiple things. Um, for like, for example, to reduce the amount of plastic that we consume i i know especially i personally i uh in the past i've used uh i've been a huge consumer of plastic but i sort of i've reduced that a lot now and i think just like just little things you know that uh let's keep it to one per person at a time and then we'll go on to like extras afterwards keep going in a circle Right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. my, my thing is just plastic. So just reduce the amount of plastic that you consume. And that can include anything from straws to plastic water bottles to, you know, etc. Alex? This is kind of relevant to plastic, but plastic's made with crude oil, right? Or just some derivative of that. So, 
<laughs> this is kind of a tangent, but crude oil is still being used a lot, even in quarantine, even though we're not using it as much for, or I guess the intuitive answer would be we're not using as much for fuel for our vehicles, right? But we're still using a ton because now it's shifting to stuff like plastic for food packaging, right? Mm -hmm. So just, uh, I guess where I'm going with this would be be more, if you can be more mindful of like food packaging and stuff because that's apparently becoming a lot bigger of a deal while we're in quarantine. Um, so I guess another thing to do would be one, one problem I have with being more environmentally friendly with my waste, at least is I don't know exactly what can be recycled, right? Like there's seven different types of plastic that can be recycled with, with the, the symbols, right? There's glass there's food containers that i don't know if you're supposed to clean them or not there's um cardboard and stuff and it's like does it all go down one i don't know about you guys but i think for for our house it's a one track kind of everything goes and then it gets yeah. sorted at some point mm -hmm. but that education blockage is one of the big reasons why i don't do more right yeah. so suggestion would be to educate yourself more on what your county or district does for recycling so yeah. that you don't waste money for them by recycling the wrong thing and right. so that you can actually recycle things instead of throwing them away and just going well, just a quick tip Oh, actually, Costco. Just going off of education, I think we should also educate ourselves on not just what we can do, but also the effects of not doing what we can do. You know, because yeah, that's overall. Because I don't think, just to put into perspective, I don't think a lot of people know like how important these things are. And right, because it's, it's not just, like Corona with. Right. Prevalent threat. Right. I mean, even with Corona, people are don't really take it seriously. You know, I mean, even yeah. with Corona, which has evolved into a global pandemic where there's been so many deaths and just so many cases just spreading, uh, you know, hospitals running out of ventilators. It's such an issue. But still, there are people thinking that this isn't really an issue. So, well, I mean, part of it. Yeah. for one but the other part is like you don't you don't never you never actually see corona and like yeah. i don't you guys know a lot of people like close enough who have gotten it which is just like you don't want to have to learn by the time someone like contracts the disease but just knowing what it could do is or like how to prevent it are two very important things people should know right i mean i saw on social media the other day there was a um there was a man who on Facebook, he would post uh, things about, uh, you know, he was very anti-mask. 
you know, he would post, he would post yeah. basically things like, uh, he would post about things like uh, how COVID isn't that serious and uh, people are, you know, people are not likely to die and how the mortality rate is like so low and it's, it's just like the flu and, you know, things like he is posting really casual stuff about COVID and how people don't really need to wear a mask and then he dies of COVID. Yeah. And it's just like, it's but- just like, that shouldn't be the point we need to get to right like at what we should like stop ourselves way before that but I think, yeah like, like it runs deeper than like just like a few like conspiracy theorists right because right even right. like the government took a long time to instate anything even though they knew it was serious from hearing it right because it's not like china China was trying to perfect, protect their image, but it wasn't like the information was completely like masked. Like to some extent, we could have done something maybe a month earlier, but we didn't. Right. Yeah. It's because whenever every other outbreak that we hear about, right? Like for example, I remember Ebola. There was a little bit of like there was a few cases in the in America, but for the most part, it was just contained in Africa, and we had that effort to you know, prevent that epidemic from turning into a pandemic, right? And since then, like every other minor disease, that's what coronavirus, at least when I first read about it on Reddit, it was, I thought it was just another minor disease. Like, oh, okay. So this is springing up in that area. Well, we'll contain it, right? Like we did with every other previous one in the last decade. And that's just not what happened. Yeah. But like, part of it is just like, you see it's not deadly to most people, especially younger people. So, like, people our age don't care as much. And, like, I'll be honest, I didn't care that much at the very beginning. Even though, like, back at ASU, someone, like, came in who got quarantined after getting the virus. By, like, this was, like, in February. Mm-hmm. But, like, well, you, people need to realize that all because a disease isn't deadly doesn't mean it's highly infectious the fact that it isn't deadly is actually like better for the virus itself because what happens is like you you contract the virus and then you don't realize you contract it until a week later but in that week you've already spread it to 20 people right like it's like if you guys have ever played play inc which like sales after coronavirus like like (laughs) You know, you can't kill off your people, and you can't be too obvious with the disease at the same time. Yeah, yeah like the strat for infectious, and then go to yeah. severity after. Yeah, and then people right. actually notice. And like, just I think I think part of the reason that thing that what you said before about people saying that young people are not likely to die from COVID, but the and I think that in and of itself is a huge reason why people aren't taking it seriously because people just are, they're taking it very casually. They think it's just the flu. But if you, if people actually take the time to educate themselves on COVID, they, they would know. And I don't know if you guys know this, but COVID-19 can cause abnormal blood clotting in the organs of the body, no matter what age you're in, which can be lethal. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, me either. There's a pretty crazy thing. Yeah. I mean, there are patients. Just go. There, there have been patients (laughs) that develop clots in the lungs and other organs that have died from it, and even even younger patients in their twenties. 
So it's it's not mm-hmm. just a problem of, you know, coughing and you know staying in bed, and it's just not a flu. It's it's a, it's a pretty, you know, it's a, it's a very dangerous disease. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy that I was gonna say it was pretty crazy that we. I remember when I was at Santa Cruz in the dorm, I just read about this virus, and then I remember we were having the discussion about how, uh, like, when I started getting emails from the health center at Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. they were ensuring us that there was nobody in, uh, nobody that had the virus yet. And then I remember one day someone in the County got the virus and eventually, like, I think two days after I got that email, I left and I came home. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's honestly really surreal how our hindsight now is it, it hindsight was like oh yeah we should have been more careful but back then foresight was like oh yeah we um we got this we're we're fine it's not going to happen we're nothing's going to happen yeah right and good just um there's a professor in uh uh at New York Presbyterian Medical Center who's a professor in the division of hematology. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Lawrence, who uh, researched COVID and found that COVID-19 patients can get something called deep vein thrombosis in the legs. Mm. So deep vein thrombosis, if you guys don't know what that is, it's basic, it's, it's a blood clot, um, but it's a blood clot that happens in a vein deep in your body. And that can cause pulmonary embolisms, which can be fatal. I, I don't even want to know what that is. What is I it? Agree. Pulmonary embolisms are... No, I, I don't want to know. <laughs> okay. uh, Ethan, it's it's your turn to share a tip on how you can share a healthy environment. Does anyone else have anything to say before we content you? No. Pulmonary embolism. <laughs> no, shut up. Okay. Um... Yeah, so this is easier said than done, but transportation is a big one. Like, from what I remember, I was watching a video by uh, Casually Explained. He was funded by, like, (laughs) Bill and Melina Gates to make a video about the environment. And I remember he mentioned something along the lines of, you could save 150 plastic bags by using a reusable one. And that would save you the same amount of carbon emissions as you driving from the back of your driveway to the front of your driveway. So one thing is, if you can manage it, I would focus on bettering transportation. So like electric cars, hybrids. Uh, I used to drive a Prius. Um, And maybe just if it's like going to the grocery store across the street, consider like biking or using a skateboard or something. Well, so I personally, I'm planning to not drive for the next year or so. Uh, Part of that is because I care about the environment. And the other part is uh, someone stole my catalytic converter. So that makes it a lot easier to make that decision. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Drive legally. (laughs) The car doesn't work. If you drive more than like three meters, it sounds like a Mustang. Yeah, <laughs> you said you said you used to drive a Prius, and I'm like, wait, what do you mean? And then, <laughs> okay, no. okay. 
Uh, my tip for the environment. One thing. So Ethan said that the whole thing about how saving plastic bags doesn't do as much as saving on transportation. I think that's something there's a gap in knowledge that a lot of people have where they think that what they're doing helps the environment when it's actually doing very incredibly little. Like even with politicians, like, Oh my God. I remember uh, in my, when my environmental science class, there was, we talked about the Kyoto protocol and it was basically a, an agreement between a bunch of superpowers at the time. It was made, signed in 2001, I believe. It was an agreement to reduce the emissions by spending money on things that now in hindsight we realize actually don't help that much. And so billions of dollars were spent on things that barely did anything. And so I think that the most important thing that we can do to help the environment is actually first learn what's causing most of our problems and what actually is the most effective way to help one of the one of the jokes we had in that class was one of the ways that we can improve the environment and reduce the amount of emissions is by painting the roads white and the reason why is because the the ground won't the, the roads are black the ground absorbs the heat that comes from the sun but if it was white, then the heat would bounce off and go back into the atmosphere. And I think this this whole process was known, the whole measure of how much reflectivity our ground has is called albedo. And it's a legitimate, um, it's a legitimate like theory that some people have come up with. And I think another really cool theory for saving is we could make technology that create artificial clouds that kind of serve as we make more clouds, basically, that block the sunlight. So those are all more focused on how the sun affects. But as far as pollution goes, a ton of it would be drastically reduced if we switch to renewable energy sources. Yeah. Solar is a very great one. And um, it would allow you to basically, during the day, have your entire energy cost saved and it's way more efficient than coal or oil does it also save you money like in the long run with like pg&e in the long run yes but the thing is about solar is that it stops working at night every renewable energy has their own disadvantages like it stop solar energy stops working at night wind energy is incredibly loud and disruptive and kills birds um Mm. nuclear is actually one of the safest and most efficient ways of energy, but there's so much stigma yeah. around nuclear yeah. that is making that not a, like a reason why people don't want it to be a thing. But yeah. because of nuclear fallouts and all of the all of the scenarios and media that we've seen about, like literally, Fallout is a game about nuclear war. Yeah. But nuclear energy is actually like the most clean energy there is, and if we could, and it it produces way more than don't quote me on this it produces way more than solar wind coal oil and geothermal combined it's 25 times more effective than a lot of the things that we use today yeah and I, but I, like, I understand that risk right because like you like pretty much there's no place that's like 
100% safe, because, like, as many, like, safety measures as you can have for, like, a nuclear power plant, like, when that earthquake hits, is like, oh, nope, you're screwed. So, like, yeah. there's definitely risk. Like, I remember there was a big fallout in Japan because of a tsunami. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's high risk, high reward, almost. Yeah. But the thing is that I it's incredibly safe to dispose nuclear waste in, in the Earth. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, mm-hmm. so there, was, there was a I, professor named... Yeah. Go for it. Okay, I was I was just gonna say I think about uh, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, go on. Um. Okay, so there's a professor named uh, Richard Muller, who's a professor of physics at UC Berkeley, who 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 um, proposes to use the underground tunnels at Yucca Mountain to store nuclear waste because the nuclear wa- the underground tunnels at Yucca Mountain are designed to hold i believe 70 something tons 70 something thousand tons of high level nuclear waste so based on that i feel like the like you said the stigma is really the the main reason why people don't look towards nuclear energy as a source of energy. Yeah. Um, Alex, Alex what you want to say? So, one thing I wanted to mention about this is going back to the the solar and other renewable energy. Um, so one of the big gateways for solar is it's expensive, right? Mm-hmm. The resources to make it aren't really renewable. It takes certain heavy metals, right? And to make, I think my, I was talking to my dad about it, but we have solar. And I think to actually get um, money in the long run, it takes like 10 years or something. Mm-hmm. So that. And uh, I was thinking of something else. That and batteries aren't good enough. Like, if batteries are good enough, then we can save up all the energy from solar and use it at night, and we won't have to worry about not having energy at night. We have to use something else like gas, right? But if it's yeah. if we have good enough batteries, then it'll last through the night, and we could go fully off that for each household. Yeah, I remember. I remember in my class, we my 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 teacher said that we the next environmental way to make money, the next big thing that would make millions, is those batteries being able to store the energy. Because right now, solar is just. Like, it's just real time, right? If you have the sun shining, then you're going to get the energy. But if not, then you're out of luck. But if you could store excess energy that you're not using, then that would be an incredible entrepreneurial effort to pursue. Yeah. Um, 
As far okay. as the other disadvantages, I did say that it's not perfect, right? Every right. every renewable source has its disadvantage. Like if we stopped using oil, a ton of people would be losing their jobs because they work in the oil industry. And a lot of the other companies that the oil companies would pretty much have to either branch out or just go, you know, obsolete. Yeah. Okay, I have to I have a question. Go for it. We can't we store solar energy because I'm pretty sure we can using solar batteries. No. But I feel like it's you, it's, can't, it's you can't store it directly. You can't store it directly and the ones that do right now aren't as efficient. Yeah, I know the way that we do solar is we have a normal battery that gets converted from solar, but then all the excess energy just goes straight to PG and E. Yeah. So it's not like it goes to waste for the most part. Uh, Alex, so, did you want to say something? Yeah. I, just furthermore on the this on your response to the solar having disadvantages, I agree. It definitely does have disadvantages, like the battery and the cost, right? But the the difference with that and oil is that prices are going down pretty significantly and we're one like big breakthrough away from having better batteries that are a lot better like we're working on solid state and stuff like that right now and with more development in that we could have way better batteries mm -hmm. so it's i think it's important to note the difference in that this stuff is getting better and it's becoming a lot more realistic that other people that aren't like middle class are going to be able to have it. Mm -hmm. um, I did want to like touch on something else that G said as we're wrapping up with time. Um, he mentioned that uh, things that people do to help the environment might be really minuscule, but I think it's still important to do them if it's not at like a great cost. So if you're only like, if I'm at Walmart and I can make the choice between not getting a plastic bag or like getting one, like it's very easy for me to say no to the plastic bag. And like in the short term, that doesn't do much. But the more that people make those types of decisions, the less like plastic bags overall that have to be produced in the first place. So it's more it's one. It's about helping your own carbon footprint. And the other thing is setting up a standard as a society because yeah. it's like voting you by yourself don't do anything but when you and 300 other people are doing it together it, it changes it like even just by that much mm -hmm. and i think we're pretty much out of time akash do you want to wrap it up yeah i mean is that it for everyone yeah i just wanted to summarize so what each person said refuse plastic find a more eco-friendly form of transportation stay informed on how you can improve the environment and consider renewable energy mm -hmm. yeah sweet and, awesome. and most yeah and most importantly everyone please stay informed stay educated stay on top of the news and just the latest information on the state of our world because that is part of our effort in this podcast 
because we are trying, like I said earlier, we are trying to establish a discussion on these things. And this is for us as well. This is for us to learn new stuff and for you guys, our listeners, to learn new stuff as well. And if that's it, if that's what we can do, because educating ourselves is within everyone's capacity. It's not, it's not a unreasonable thing that anybody can't uh, anybody can do and i suppose if everyone were to take the time to educate themselves and to take part even in the minuscule prevention measures like ethan said it can lead to a greater change overall because small steps for one person but for everyone as a collective making those small steps making those small changes leads to bigger change over time and that is it for our episode thank you everyone for listening in we hope you had a wonderful time and enjoyable time listening in this has personally been for me a very incredibly enjoyable episode to talk about and i'm sure it has been for my my colleagues as well and for all you listeners out there, I know quarantine can be a challenging situation, but please hang in there. And in the meantime, if you haven't already, please go listen to our other episodes. This is officially episode number four. So we have four episodes for you guys to pass the time with. Also, follow us on Instagram at Truly Your Podcast for updates and future episodes. We hope you have a wonderful day and please stay tuned for the next episode. We will be back with some more exciting topics. Have a good one. Thank you.